Motivational interviewing starts with an attitude of humility and curiosity. We don't know what might motivate someone else to change, but we're genuinely eager to find out. The goal isn't to tell people what to do, it's to help them break out of the overconfidence cycles and see new possibilities. Welcome to Philosopher Insights, the podcast that delivers wisdom in minutes a day that you can put into practice daily and strive to master over a lifetime. The podcast committed to sharing ideas that encourage you to bridge the gap between who you are today and the person you aspire to be in the future. Hi, my name is Herb Lamba and welcome to my podcast where I will share practical insights from the world's best authors. Knowledge isn't power, applied knowledge is. The quest to become the best version of you starts right now. Hi, and welcome to Philosopher Insights. My name is Herb Lamba. Today, we're taking a look at another one of Adam Grant's great books, Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. The book is published in 2021. I want to share a number of my favorite insights, starting with preacher, prosecutor, politician, overconfident versus rethinking, find common ground, motivational interviewing, dumbstruck, rethink at work, check up, and then finish it off with pursuit of meaning. So let's kick this off with the introduction. Quote, Read thinking isn't a struggle in every part of our lives. When it comes to our possessions, we update with fervor. We refresh our wardrobes when they go out of style and renovate our kitchens when they're no longer in vogue. When it comes to our knowledge and opinions, though, we tend to stick to our guns. Psychologists call this seizing and freezing. We favor the comfort of conviction over the discomfort of doubt and we let our beliefs get brittle long before our bones. Our ways of thinking become habits that can weigh us down, and we don't bother to question them until it's too late. Assuming your marriage is fine despite your partner's increasing emotional distance, feeling secure in your job even though some of your colleagues have been laid off. This book is about the value of rethinking. You may not carry an axe or a shovel, but you do have some cognitive tools you use regularly. They might be things you know, assumptions you make, or opinions you hold. Some of them aren't just part of your job. They're part of your sense of self. This book is an invitation to let go of knowledge and opinions that are no longer serving you well, and to anchor your sense of self in flexibility rather than consistency. Thinking again can help you generate new solutions to old problems and revisit old solutions to new problems. It's a path to learning more from the people around you and living with fewer regrets. End quote. That is from the opening of this truly fascinating book. The premise of the book is simple. There is so much in this world that you don't know, and some of what you think you know, you are not willing to admit you don't know. It's this lack of willingness to be wrong that ends up keeping you wrong. Grant reminds us that being wrong can cost you money, relationships, and lives. The most important cognitive skills may be the ability to rethink and unlearn. Think Again offers you solutions to getting more things right. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, and I would highly recommend this incredibly insightful book that is perfect for the divisive times we live in today. I'm excited to jump in and share some of my favorite insights, so let's begin. Insight number one. Preacher, prosecutor, politician. Quote, as we think and talk, we often slip into the mindsets of three different professions. Preachers, prosecutors, and politicians. We go into preacher mode when our sacred beliefs are in jeopardy. We deliver sermons to protect and promote our ideals. We enter prosecutor mode when we recognize flaws in other people's reasoning. We marshal arguments to prove them wrong and win our case. We shift into politician mode when we're seeking to win over an audience. We campaign and lobby for the approval of our constituents. 
The risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we're right, prosecuting others who are wrong, and politicking for support that we don't bother to rethink our own views, end quote. Well, to my surprise, I saw myself in all three modes at different times. The unfortunate reality is that when it comes to our own knowledge, we are more focused on feeling right over being right. When we're too busy preaching about how we're right, pointing fingers at those that we think are wrong, or playing politics to win people over, we often forget to stop and re-examine our own beliefs. We get caught up in what Grant refers to as an overconfidence cycle. Insight number two, overconfidence versus rethinking. Quote, scientific thinking favors humility over pride, doubt over certainty, curiosity over closure. When we shift out of our scientist mode, the rethinking cycle breaks down, giving way to an overconfidence cycle. If we're preaching, we can't see the gaps in our knowledge. We believe we've already found the truth. Pride breeds conviction rather than doubt, which makes us prosecutors. We might be laser-focused on changing other people's minds, but ours is set in stone. That launches us into confirmation bias and desirability bias. We become politicians, ignoring and dismissing whatever doesn't win in favor of our constituents, our parents, our bosses, or even high school classmates who are still trying to impress. We become so busy putting on a show that the truth gets relegated to the backstage seat, and the resulting validation can make us arrogant." End quote. Grant urges us to think like a scientist and shift from the overconfidence cycle to the rethinking cycle. Think about scientists. They need to be constantly aware of the current limits of their understanding. The way in which a scientist succeeds is by frequently doubting what they know and raising their curiosity about what they don't know. Quote, But being a scientist is not just a profession. It's a frame of mind, a mode of thinking that differs from preaching, prosecuting, and politicking. We move into scientist mode when we're searching for the truth. We run experiments to test hypotheses and discover knowledge. Experiments can inform our daily decisions. That makes me wonder, is it possible to train people in other fields to think more like scientists? And if so, do they end up making smarter choices? I like reflecting on this idea of thinking like a scientist when trying to make changes to optimize our own lives. There are so many opportunities to put on your white lab coat and run experiments, test hypotheses, and make new conclusions about what works for you on your journey to becoming the best version of you. Insight number three, finding common ground. Quote, convincing other people to think again isn't just about making a good argument. It's about establishing that we have the right motives in doing so. When we concede that someone else has made a good point, we signal that we're not preachers, prosecutors, or politicians trying to advance our own agenda. We're scientists trying to get the truth, end quote. The truth is, we can't really expect to persuade someone else if we're not ready to shift our own stance. It's crucial to stay open to other people's ideas and be ready to admit when we agree with them or have picked up something valuable from their perspective. Quote, most people immediately start with a straw man, poking holes in the weakest version of the other side's case, end quote. The more powerful approach to finding common ground is to consider the strongest version of the other person's argument. Once you learn to accept that the other person has a valid point, you have a better chance of being able to relate to their perspective. Insight number four, motivational interviewing. Quote, motivational interviewing starts with an attitude of humility and curiosity. We don't know what might motivate someone else to change, but we're genuinely eager to find out. 
The goal isn't to tell people what to do. It's to help them break out of the overconfidence cycles and see new possibilities. Our role is to hold up a mirror so they can see themselves more clearly and then empower them to examine their beliefs and behaviors. This can activate a rethinking cycle in which people approach their own views more scientifically, end quote. The three techniques of motivational interviewing. Number one, ask open-ended questions. Number two, engage in reflective listening. And number three, affirm the person's desire and ability to change. Here's the key takeaway. It's quite a challenge to push someone else to change. What Grant suggests is that we guide others to discover their own reasons for change. This whole motivational interviewing thing, well, it starts with being humble and curious. It's not about being a leader or a follower, but becoming a guide. Quote, when people ignore advice, it isn't always because they disagree with it. Sometimes they're resisting the sense of pressure and the feeling that someone else is controlling their decision. To protect their freedom, instead of giving commands or offering recommendations, a motivational interviewer might say something along the lines of, here are a few things that have helped me. Do you think any of them might work for you? Asking questions is fundamental to motivational interviewing, and what follows is equally as important. Become a good listener. Effective listening is not simply a matter of talking less, but a set of skills in asking and responding. If you want to become a better listener, like anything else you want to improve in your life, you have to make time to actively practice it. Insight number five, the dumbstruck effect. Quote, it's not hard to see why a boring lecture would fail, but even captivating lectures fall short for a less obvious, more concerning reason. Lectures aren't designed to accommodate dialogue or disagreement. They turn students into passive receivers of information rather than active thinkers. And experiments have shown that when a speaker delivers an inspiring message, the audience scrutinizes the material less carefully and forgets most of the content, even while claiming to remember more of it. Social scientists have called this phenomena the awestruck effect, but I think it's better described as the dumbstruck effect. The sage on the stage often preaches new thoughts, but rarely teaches us how to think for ourselves. End quote. So here's the scoop. Students seem to vibe more with the classic lecture-style learning. They feel like they're on the fast track to becoming knowledge wizards. But guess what? When they shine the spotlight on active learning, it turns out to be the real star in the learning process. Lectures, as Grant puts it, are like the superhero teachers telling us what's what. But here's the twist. They don't always clue us into the superpower of how to rethink things later on. It's like having the roadmap, but missing out on the secret shortcuts. Quote, good teachers introduce new thoughts, but great teachers introduce new ways of thinking. Ultimately, education is more than the information we accumulate in our heads. It's the habits we develop as we keep revisiting our drafts and the skills we build to keep learning. End quote. Now, Grant suggests that we explore ideas, develop rough drafts, and then improve on those drafts to get better. We should encourage our kids to do multiple drafts of a drawing or an assignment with the aim of constant improvement. Insight number six, rethinking at work. Quote, rethinking is not just an individual skill. It's a collective capability, and it depends heavily on an organization's culture. Rethinking is more likely to happen in a learning culture, where growth is the core value and rethinking cycles are routine. In learning cultures, the norm is for people to know what they don't know, doubt their existing practices, and stay curious about new routines to try out. 
Evidence shows that in learning cultures, organizations innovate more and make fewer mistakes, end quote. Now, the capacity to rethink at work depends on the organization's culture. Organizations should aim to create psychologically safe teams built on trust and respect, and not on proving competence and protecting careers. In performance-based organizations, the emphasis placed on getting results undermines the employee's psychological safety. If employees see others getting punished for their failures, it leads to self-limiting behavior and a fear of challenging leadership decisions or even voicing concern. Quote, it takes confident humility to admit that we're a work in progress. It shows that we care more about improving ourselves than proving ourselves. If that mindset spreads far enough within an organization, it can give people the freedom and courage to speak up, end quote. So, when you're steering the ship as a manager or a leader, creating psychological safety is all about being open and inclusive. Ask your team for feedback on how you can up your game because that's how you make them feel safe enough to take risks. Being a bit vulnerable should be the norm in leadership, making it easier for your team to open up about their own challenges. Insight number seven, the checkup. Quote, we foreclose on all kinds of life plan. Once you've committed to one, it becomes part of your identity, making it difficult to de-escalate. Declaring an English major because you love to read, only to discover that you don't enjoy the process of writing. Identity foreclosure can stop us from evolving. In some ways, identity foreclosure is the opposite of an identity crisis. Instead of accepting uncertainty about who we want to become, we develop compensatory conviction and plunge head over heels into a career path. I have noticed that the students who are the most certain about their career plans at 20 are often the ones with the deepest regrets at 30. Now, I bet a bunch of people can relate when they reflect on their own career journey. Picture this. You're at a point in life where you're choosing a career, not entirely sure about the job, still figuring out who you are, and bam, you're making a lifelong commitment to this career path. Talk about a big decision at a time when you're still unfolding your own story. Quote, my advice to students is to take a cue from healthcare professions. Just as they make appointments with the doctor and the dentist, even when nothing is wrong, they should schedule checkups on their careers, end quote. I just love that insight, only because I look at myself and so many others in my inner circle who have never questioned what they're doing now and how it lines up with their true aspirations in life. I find for most people, the lack of questioning throughout the years has led to complacency in the position they hold today. If this is hitting home for you, I urge you to consider scheduling a checkup and making it a part of your yearly routine. Your happiness may depend on it. Insight number eight, pursuit of meaning. Psychologists find that passions are often developed, not discovered. In a study of entrepreneurs, the more effort they put into their startups, the more enthusiasm about their business climbed each week. Their passion grew as they gained momentum and mastery. Interest doesn't always lead to effort and skill. Sometimes it follows them. By investing in learning and problem-solving, we can develop our passions and build the skills necessary to do the work and lead the lives we find worthwhile, end quote. Now, I cannot help be reminded of parallel wisdom from Cal Newport's great book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, where he says, quote, The craftsman mindset offers clarity, while the passion mindset offers a swamp of ambiguous and unanswerable questions. There's something liberating about the craftsman mindset. It asks you to leave behind self-centered concerns about whether your job is just right, and instead put your head down and plug away at getting really damn good. 
No one owes you a great career, it argues. You need to earn it, and the process won't be easy, end quote. You will reach a point in life where you will be more focused on bringing meaning into this world. I know for myself personally, I have reached that position. You will most likely discover that meaning through actions you take that benefit other people. As Grant spoke to students about the evolution of self-esteem in their careers, the progression was as follows. Phase one, I am not important. Phase two, I am important. Phase three, I want to contribute to something important. Quote, I have noticed that the sooner they get to phase three, the more impact they have and the more happiness they experience. It's left me thinking about happiness, less as a goal and more as a byproduct of mastery and meaning. End quote. It doesn't matter so much that you have the opportunity or appetite to make major changes in your life, because it is still possible to make minor changes that breathe new meaning into each day. Quote, Our identities are open systems, and so are our lives. We don't have to stay tethered to old images of where we want to go or who we want to be. The simplest way to start rethinking our options is to question what we do daily. End quote. That is my quick look at this incredible book, Think Again, by Adam Grant. Be sure to check out his latest book in episode 130, Hidden Potential. Until next time, stay curious and keep embracing the wonders of knowledge. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Philosopher Insights with your host, Herb Lamb. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.